Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. churches have a summer slump, but here at the home church, we are grateful to God that often we see a summer jump, and that's what we're believing God's going to do again this year. It's going to be a fruitful three months of reaching and teaching and a whole lot of fun in between, so we're going to have a wonderful season. All right, the commandments of Christ. This morning's message is Five Commandments for Christian Workers. Now each week, as I look at our growing, thriving congregation, and I think of the hundreds of people that come of all ages, not only in here, but all the classes, that pour into this campus, not just on the Lord's Day, but seven days a week, I feel very much like that uh, iconic Serbian inventor, that electrical engineer, futurist, Nikola Tesla. You've all heard of him. I feel as though when he saw the sun and he said, oh, if I could only harness and draw energy from that. And since then, Many have drawn energy from that. The collective energy and impact that together we could make in this region, even globally, is phenomenal if we could only harness it. I think one of the challenges that we face in 21st century Christianity, especially evangelical Christianity, especially American evangelical Christianity, is that we are rightly grieved at the direction of our country, and rightly so. But then that's it. We are grieved, but we don't seem to make a difference. And if we're not careful, we'll just sit and soak and sour. But God did not call us to sit and soak and sour. We are saved to serve. And that's exactly what the immortal Apostle Paul told Titus. Chapter 3 and verse number 8. This is a faithful saying. Mark this down. This is as true as it gets. These things I would that you affirm constantly. Don't ever stop thinking about this and affirming it, confirming it. That they which have believed in God, once you have become a born-again Christian then the rest of your life you ought to be careful or very industrious about this. You need to be careful to maintain good works. Now I want everybody to look up here for just a moment. If you are saved, 
You are saved to serve. Everybody say amen to that. You are saved to serve. You, each of you, have been called into the ministry. Now, not in the sense that I am as a pastor of a church, but you are all, each one of you, called to be a minister for our Lord Jesus. And that's exactly what Paul challenged the Ephesian church. Chapter 4 and verse number 1, he said, walk worthy. Walk worthy in your day-to-day walk. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. You have been called to a special vocation. Now, we all have jobs or careers. We have things that we do. But your vocation, your calling, is to serve the Lord. Someone says, well, what is your vocation you say to serve the Lord? Now, I have a job. I have a career. But my calling, my vocation in life, that's to serve the Lord. We serve as standers. We serve as encouragers. We serve as inviters. We serve as hospitality providers. We serve as prayers and givers. Each of us have a responsibility to make Jesus known to our neighbors and really to the nations. That's why I'm here. That's why God doesn't just save us and then take us away. No, He leaves us here to make a difference. In light then of our God-given mission, there are five commands of Christ, commands that are found in the New Testament, that regardless of our capabilities or our availability, God has given us these five commands so that we can serve and do so effectively. From the Bible to biscuits, there are many ways to serve the Lord. And yes, oftentimes, opportunities for the Lord do center around eating and drinking. Take, for instance, the interaction between a pastor and a young boy in a certain congregation. It seems to be that this congregation is not like ours. They love to linger after church. They all loved good fellowship. And they served coffee after the sermon. And so, one Sunday, the pastor asked the little boy if he knew why they served coffee after church. Well, I think, said the innocent little boy, it's to get people awake before they drive home. Well, I know this. I'm always impressed when people walk into the church with those big old 16-ounce cups of coffee there. I'm telling you. I oftentimes will tell them, that looks like a two-hour sermon right there. Some of you folks come in with a little six-ounce piece of coffee there, you know. All you want is a sermon ed, and you're gone. But, um, but I do hope you'll stay awake today because today's five commandments are some of the most important that we'll ever hear that speak really into our daily lives, what we do with our days. Some people are kind of wondering, what am I to do for the balance of my life or this next season? Well, listen today, because God has a word for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the joy I've already sensed, Lord, the tears that have already coursed down my cheeks. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. I don't deserve one drop of it. I feel so grateful. So thankful, Lord, for these that are here, my family and friends, and those who I perhaps meet for the first time. So grateful, Lord. Thank you for the fun that we can have in church. 
Now, Lord, would you meet with us today? Lord, we need this message. This church, Lord, can harness the power of the Son of God. And I pray that you will, in Jesus' name. Amen. Every member of a church is a minister. That is a repeated theme in the New Testament. The busy apostle, Mark, if you have a King James Version, almost every verse begins with the word and. Mark chapter 10 and verse 43, it says, whosoever will be great among you. You want to be a great person? Of course you do. I mean, if I had a choice between being great and not being great, I'd choose great. I want to be a great person. Well, if you want to be great, the Bible says, then be a minister. And then adding a little bit more food for thought, verse 45 says, Even the Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be ministered unto, although He certainly deserved it, but He didn't really come for that. He came to minister. There it is, brothers and sisters, in black and white. Great Christians are great ministers. And they resemble none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, spending our time and our talent and our treasures for the Lord makes one rich. German Holocaust diarist Anne Frank said, No one has ever become poor by giving. As Luke said, as Luke said a few moments ago, never. Do we become poor by giving? Truly, the path to a happy life, a great life, is by serving God. The first gospel, Matthew, in chapter 27, we're told of an amazing group of single ladies, whether they were single, never married, or widow, but they comprised an amazing hospitality ministry for none other than Jesus and the disciples. Look at chapter 27, verse 55. You may have never noticed the ministry that these amazing ladies had. And many women. We're not sure how many, but there are certainly dozens, maybe hundreds, were there beholding, they were there at the crucifixion, beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto Him. Where were the apostles? Where? The apostles were good men. But they got scared at the horrific scene of the crucifixion. But at that place were loyal women, precious women of God, who spent their life doing what? Preaching? No, they weren't preaching in that purest sense of the word. But at a great personal expense, they had traveled a hundred or so miles from Galilee down to Jerusalem at their own money, their own risk of reputation, they followed Jesus. Notice what it says they did. They ministered to Him. They made very sure that He and the disciples had food to eat, made sure that their clothes were mended, made sure if they needed medicine or any caregiving, they were there. They did housekeeping. I'm sure they offered lots of encouraging words and prayers. They had the amazing ministry of hospitality. These godly women, loyal, unafraid to stand for Him. Loyal servants to the very last breath. In the third gospel, again, Mark chapter 13, verse number, excuse me, Mark chapter 1, verse 31. 
We have another ministering sweet woman, Simon Peter's mother-in-law. It says Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her. Thank God Jesus is still the healer. And it says after she got healed, she ministered unto them. Jesus healed this precious lady. And she turned around and spent the rest of her life serving God. Now I ask you this morning, has Jesus healed you? Has he healed your heart? Has he healed you maybe physically? Has he healed a relationship? Has he healed your finances? Has he done something good for you? Then certainly, like Peter's mother-in-law, I think we ought to turn around and minister the rest of our lives. What is the theme of the New Testament church? It's ministry. It's ministry. We exist as a church to do ministry. That's why often we call it a ministry. Now, folks, we need to know that there is no such thing as an inactive church member or Christian. It's an impossibility. No, every church member, every attender is active. You are either actively building up or you are actively tearing down. But you are active. Either you're a part of the team helping or you're not a part of the team and you're hurting. You'd say, Pastor, that seems pretty strong. Well, I have reason to say that because that's exactly what Jesus said. In the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 30, listen to Jesus himself. And he didn't mince any words. He said, he that is not with me is against me. And then he just clarified that. He said, he that gathereth not scattereth abroad. I am either doing something with my life that brings people in, or I'm doing something with my life that pushes people away. Am I a gatherer or am I a scatterer? That's the question we ought to ask ourselves. Every member, every attender in this church is either working with Jesus or working against Jesus. That's about as clear as it can be. Now, having said that, let me say again, nobody is exempted from the ministry. If you attend this church, I want you to know the message this morning is not to whom it may concern. It's to you. This morning, if I had your email, and I do, I think, a lot of them, but if I had your email, I want you to know you need to open up your email. Because this is your message. If you have a hashtag or whatever it is, a hash browns, I don't know what you have. But whatever it is, I'm telling you, this message is for you. God wants you to be a minister. And if so, then you need to follow these five commands. Let's go through them. Number one, don't burn out in serving the Lord. Since we're called to be a minister, don't ever burn out. Now, it's true, burnout can be caused by unrealistic pressures, a workload that's too much, toxic leader or environment, and other things. But all too often, our burnout is self-inflicted. We procrastinate, we're listless, and at times we're even negligent in things that we ought to do. Did you know that also happens in the ministry? And here's the verse. Be not, be is actually in verse 10, but be not slothful in business, fervent in spirit serving the Lord. Now, many people have thought this is a business person's verse, but it could be applied to that. That's not primarily the sense. 
As you know, the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 11 especially, is the apex of all Christian doctrine in the New Testament. But God's Word is not only uh, for our mind, it is for our feet and our hands. It's more than just to some words. It is active. And that's why chapters 12 through 16 of Romans are designed not only to inform us, but to reform us. It's not only a new way of thinking, but it's a new way of acting. And that is clearly the theme of chapter 12. Here in chapter 12, the Holy Spirit rattles off a quick bullet list of practical holiness. He encourages believers to be proactive with your life. Don't just sit around and do life like a bump on a pickle, just kind of whatever comes your way. No, be proactive. And so here he stops and says, don't be slothful in your business. Now, slothful. Those are those of us who act negligent. It's used several ways in the Old Testament. For example, in Proverbs chapter 20, it's about a person who uses little inconveniences, even the possibility of such, to stop us from duty. Here's what it says in verse 4, the sluggard. Don't you love those Old Testament terms? The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. I mean, it wasn't like Israel was an Antarctica or something, you know. But, oh, it's too cold out there. I, I can't go out. How crazy it is to allow s- s- small things to keep us from serving the Lord. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus boldly told a parable. And he suggested something that we may have never thought of, and that is that slothfulness has an evil twin. Wickedness. Look at verse 26. And his Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant. Now, we might think sloth or being a sluggard, it's not that bad of a thing. But God says, no, it's evil twin is wickedness. Friends, whatever ministry is worth doing in the Christian life, it is worth doing with godly enthusiasm. We ought to get with it. Someone said about a diligence-challenged person, lazy, he always does an honest day's work. Of course, it usually takes him a week to do it. (laughs) He's so lazy, if he woke up with nothing to do today, he'd still go to bed with it only half done. That's why the apostle said in Hebrews chapter 6, he commended him. He said, keep on keeping on. Look what he said in verse number 10 of Hebrews chapter 6. For God is not unrighteous to forget your labor, your work and labor of love. Don't you hate it? God always talks about work and labor and ministry. But anyway, you have showed towards his name in that you have ministered unto the saints and do minister. He was saying, keep it up. You've been ministering. Keep doing it. Keep up the good work. And in verse 12, he said, now don't ever be slothful in the ministry. We have all ministered before. We should keep ministering, and we should make it sure that we do it in the future. As humans, we always have to keep pushing ourselves, pushing ourselves to stay busy for the Lord, to step up, or we'll get lazy. A man told his doctor he just wasn't able to do things around the house like he used to. When the exam was complete, he said, now, doc, I can take it. Just tell me in plain English, what is wrong with me? Well, in plain English, 
The doctor said, you're just lazy. (laughs) Okay, he said, now give me the medical term so I can tell my wife. (laughs) Well, lazyitis, I don't know, but I will tell you, all of us as God's people need to determine to be busy serving the Lord. He said, well, how can I do that? Thankfully, the very next phrase of that verse gives us the way. He says, fervent in spirit. You need to be fueled. If you want to be flaming for the Lord, you've got to get some fuel in you. It says fervent, that's the Greek word zeo, burning desire, in spirit. It means you need to depend upon the Holy Spirit to give you that eager enthusiasm to help others. A person enthusiastic about their tasks hardly can contain their excitement. Boiling over, really, is what it's saying. It says you ought to be boiling over with the opportunity to serve the Lord, however you possibly can. I mean, it doesn't have to be anything real fancy. Just however I can serve the Lord, I want to be boiling over, enthusiastic for the opportunity. Like Top Ramen. You'd say, Top Ramen? Well, I don't know what it is, but every time I cook Top Ramen, which is not very often, but every time I do... It boils over all over the stove. I can't figure it out. I mean, it goes from there to boiled over in like a half a second. Well, God is saying, be top ramen Christians. Boil over with zeal, serving the Lord. Now, how do you get to that point? How do you heat yourself up? You need to know it's not an accident. You say, well, I don't know. I don't just really have a, a big enthusiasm to serve the Lord. Well, friend, that could be a problem. Let me give you a what I'm saying here. You know, we all plant seeds. And the seeds we plant do sprout. And so if the crop we're seeing is not a good crop, then maybe it's because somewhere along the line we've planted some seeds that aren't healthy. And that's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. Here he is referring to the final days. And he gives a very sad equation. And for those of you that like math, I did algebra. I went to Algebra 2 and I quit. I can chase the X, but I'm not chasing the X and the Y and the Z and the whatever else. Some of you like math. Well, here's a good equation. Jesus said, all right, he said, if you're dull for the things of God, it may be that you love the world too much. Look at verse 12. And because of iniquity, abounding, the love of many shall wax cold. One of the reasons we're not excited about the Lord, not excited about serving the Lord, praying and giving and going to church and inviting people and doing hospitality. The reason we're not excited for the Lord is because we've settled into a kind of a worldliness. And it doesn't just mean like we're out getting drunk every night especially. It just means a worldly mindset. We've become shallow spiritually, but maybe just too, our roots are too deep in the world. Here's what Paul asked Pastor Titus in chapter 2. He said, now, he was on Crete, and he said, I want you to remind the Cretans of the example of Jesus. Be like Jesus, verse 14, who gave himself for us. A peculiar people. You'd say, well, why should I have to serve the Lord? Well, because we're peculiar. Once you accept Christ, you're no longer fit in this world. I mean, you just are... uh, a square peg in a round hole. It's just you will never fit. 
a peculiar people. And some of us are more peculiar than others. I will agree with that. But it says, who gave himself for us a peculiar works, zealous. There's that word again. Zealous, full of the Holy Spirit's enthusiasm for good works, for ministry. Why in the world are we here? We are here to make a difference. Not just to eat, drink, and be merry. Now, there is nothing wrong with eating or drinking or being happy. Nothing wrong with that. But if that's my end goal, if that's all life's about, then that is a problem. But if I'm eating and drinking and having fun so that I can serve the Lord, then then that's the right reason for it. These are what God is saying here is we ought to serve the Lord. Look at the last phrase in chapter Romans back Romans chapter 12 here again. It says, serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. It's an interesting phrase there, serving. You may have heard of the Greek word there. It's the word daluo. It means to be a bound servant. Either by choice or because I'm made to, but I'm not like an indentured servant, but I, a slave really, I mean, essentially, a volunteer or made to be a, bound to be a slave. Duluo. It means each of us need to recognize in our mind, I am bound to something. I am a slave of Jesus. Now, that would be a problem if the one I'm a slave to is a mean sucker. Boy, I mean, that'd be terrible. But Jesus is not mean. He is wonderful and joyful. And that's why it refers to, it says, serving the Lord. The word there is kurios. It is the word ultimate master, one who has sway over everything. Not only I do, but even what I think. He is the Lord. He is my kurios. He is the one I give everything to. Serving the Lord. God wants us to be hot for the Lord and not burned out for the Lord. He wants us to burn up for the Lord. In the early 1800s, there was a brilliant professor at Cambridge, a brilliant mathematician, a legal mind. His name was Henry Martin. Henry Martin got born again, and when he got saved, God transformed his life. He got so excited, he became a doulos. He became someone who said, I'm a slave to Jesus. I want to burn up. In his own words, he said, I want to burn up for Christ. He went to India as a chaplain. He spent the remaining six years of his life using his brilliant mind to translate the New Testament into Hindi because of Henry Martin, Precious Hindi people have a New Testament today and also in the Persian. Don't be burned out. Be burned up for the Lord. Say, I want to serve Him not only in my actions but with my mind. He's a good master. I can trust Him. Number two, don't be backward about God's will. Five commandments for serving the Lord. Don't be backward about God's will. Ephesians 5, verse 17. Now, folks, these are tough days. I'm not going to kid you. These are tough days to live in. But it's not the first time God's people have lived in a tough situation, nor will it be the last. And we cannot simply throw up our hands in despair and say, oh, there's nothing we can do about it. Yes, there is. But you have to be wise. That's why he said here, wherefore, 
Be ye not unwise. And if you'll allow me just a Tim Pollock paraphrase, it means don't be stupid. That's really what it means. It's, it's the word for fool. Don't be stupid, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. He said, okay, it's all right to complain about how terrible it is. That's fine. I get it. It's terrible. But make it, but let it just spur us to do something about it. Because of the badness of these evil days, don't be an ignoramus. It is your Christian duty to understand what the will of the Lord is. Wherefore? Wherefore? Now, see that in the verse? Now, seeing how, and if you read before that, you'll know what he's talking about, seeing how things are so wacky out there, you need to discern the will of God. Now, that tells me that the will of God is not just so mystical and unknowable. We can know it. If God said you ought to know it, then we should be able to know it. It's simply not something strange. It is that we are not seeking it. In this verse, he said it's very, very foolish to behave backward to what you know is right. He says, don't be unwise. Now, we're not talking about someone who is intellectually challenged, but someone who is lacking prudence. Just kind of going through life, you know, just, just kind of cruising through life. Our Lord used the very same word in Luke chapter 20. In Luke chapter 20, or excuse me, chapter 12, verse 20, he used that same word for foolish. It's affron. Look what it says in verse 20. But God said unto him, Thou fool, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be? Now why was that rich man a fool? Because he was rich? Not at all. He was a fool because he failed to prepare to meet God. Paul's command here is this. He said, discern what God wants you to do, how you can best make a difference in this world, and then get with it. Get with it. I mean, know the will of God for your life, and then just enter into it. Do the best you can. And along the line, He'll lead you some more. One of my heroes, there are several books that changed my life. One of them is the book, George Mueller of Bristol by A.T. Pearson. George Mueller was one of the 1800s most profound clerics. His writings had a profound influence on the trajectory of my life. There are six steps on finding the will of God I would like to share with you that he left. Six of them. You can look at them here. You're wanting to see the will of God for your life? Surrender, number one, surrender your own life. Surrender your will. Get your heart into such a state that it has no will of its own. Are you hearing that? Nine-tenths of our difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will regardless. That is a profound statement. I'll say that again. If I am willing to do the Lord's will regardless, whether it's kind of what I want or what I don't want, I'm nine-tenths of the way already. Nine-tenths. Number two. Never depend on feelings. People say, well, go with your gut. My friend, you go with your gut, you are going to make a huge mistake. You will open yourself to incredible delusions because my gut will tell me a lot of things that God will never tell me. Number three, seek the Spirit's will through God's Word. 
The Holy Spirit's ministry is that of leading. That's exactly what Jesus said. That's his ministry. To not seek the Holy Spirit is to grieve him. And how do we seek the Holy Spirit? We seek him through the book that he wrote. He is the author of the Bible. We're told that. Holy men of God wrote down what they were moved on by the Holy Spirit. He, God will never do anything contrary to His Word. Never. So if you are contemplating something, that there is a verse that says don't do it or do it, then my friend, you can be sure that's not God's will. Number four, note providential circumstances. Now, it's way different than trusting your gut. We're talking about that often there are timely events, happenings, that suggest God's will in connection with His Word or that they run on a parallel track with the Word of God. Number five, we shouldn't have to say this, but just in case, pray. I ask for God to show me your will. And he, Mr. Mueller would say, since I believe that God promises wisdom, if I'll ask, then I'm just going to keep praying knowing that if I'm getting a sense that this is what God wants, and since I've asked for it, then I can be pretty much assured that it's happening. We're making sure all of these six things line up. And finally, wait. Now, wait doesn't mean doing nothing. It means anticipating. That's the big difference. It's expectantly waiting for the pot of water to boil. I mean, I'm seeing it's beginning to boil. It's, I'm going to get an answer. It's waiting for that moment. And then you go. You go. Most William Pettigill, uh, Christian author William Pettigill said, most people don't want to know the will of God in order to do it. They want to know it in order to simply consider it. Now, none of this is going to work if it's in your mind, well, I'll, I'll kick it around. Well, then forget it. It's not going to happen. You need to do it. It's like people say, well, I'm, I'm waiting to be baptized. Why? Why? Well, I don't know until I'm ready. You're ready. Because the Bible, folks, the Bible said get baptized. So, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. You're not going to be led in any more than already God said. He said, get saved and get baptized. I mean, come on. Get with it. There, there, does, <laughs> there doesn't need to be a lot of considering God's will. I read a cute story from Reader's Digest, and it kind of plays into this. A flight attendant spent a week's vacation in the Rockies. She was captivated by the mountain peaks, clear blue skies, sweet-smelling pines. But also, she was charmed by a very eligible bachelor who owned and operated a cattle ranch and lived in a log cabin. At the end of the week, Mr. Wonderful proposed... But it all happened so quickly, the woman decided she better just wait a little bit. She returned home to her job, feeling that she somehow would be guided to make the right decision. The next day in flight, she found herself thinking about it and wondering what she should do. To just kind of perk herself up, she stopped into the restroom, splashed some cold water on her face. Just then there was some turbulence and a sign in the restroom lit up. Please return to the cabin. 
And so she did. She went back to the cabin in the mountains. <laughs> yes, discerning God's will is about hearing His Word and seeing what God wants us to do. There is a third thing this morning about doing the will of God, and that is don't be bored in well-doing. Never give in to lethargy. There'll be enough time to rest when we get to heaven. But ye, brethren, be not. Now stop it, he said. Stop being weary and well-doing. I get it, you're tired, but don't give up. Don't quit. Now if there's any church Paul loved, it was the church at Thessaloniki or Nica. They were his favorites. I mean, if he had, if he could say he had a favorite, that was him. He was only there two weeks, but he loved that church. It was a powerful church. Amazing what God did. He commended them often for all the good they were doing. But then he said, but don't quit. I mean, don't, I'm, I'm going to commend you, but don't give up. Now, boxing is an inhumane sport. MMA is even worse, I will tell you. Probably should all be outlawed. But it is interesting, I will say that. And I've watched a few rounds of it in my life. I do know this in boxing, and I suspect in MMA they have a corner man. Or maybe I should say a corner person now, I'm supposed to say that. Or a corner they or them, or, okay, anyway. But um, Now the corner they or them will shout encouragement to the person in the ring. Hit him low, hit him high, do a cross, an uppercut, and don't quit. You know, jump back. And if the boxer quits, he throws his towel in the ring, or the corner mound does. Now the illustration is this: the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul is our corner mound. He's saying, "Don't quit, Tim. Don't quit, Tim. Hit the devil back. Hit him back. How do I hit the devil back? I go out and try to." Make a difference in this world. Hit him back. Don't throw in the towel. Maybe Jesus' words in Matthew 25 give some additional clarity. In the last days after the match is all over, what I want is for them to hold my hand up and say, Winner. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. By the way, that's that word slave again. Well done, slave. (laughs) I'm a slave of Jesus. Well done. What will you hear? What will I hear? Keep on keeping on. Don't even think about quitting. I recently read a very insightful quote, and I think it speaks to this matter of faithful service. It's about one of the hardest workers in Scripture, Noah. You'll like this. It's entitled, All I Ever Need to Know, I Learned from Noah. Ten things. One, don't miss the boat. Two, remember that we are all in the same boat. Three, plan ahead. It wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Four, stay fit. When you're 600 years old, someone may ask you to do something really big. Five, don't listen to critics. Just get on with the job that needs to be done. Six, build your future on high ground. Seven, speed isn't everything. The snails were on board with the cheetahs. Number eight, when you're stressed, float a while. Number nine, remember the ark was built by amateurs and the Titanic by, the Titanic by professionals. And number ten, number ten, no matter what storm, when you were with God, 
There's always a rainbow waiting for you. I want to get busy for God. Don't be burned out. Don't be backward. Don't be bored. And number four, don't be bullied by God deniers. They're everywhere. And it's not a matter of if, just when. You will be mocked. You will be pressured. You will be threatened. Anybody who publicly, unashamedly, names the name of Jesus will suffer. But that being the case, verse 8, be not therefore ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed that you are a born-again Christian. Speak up. Don't be ashamed, first of all, of the testimony of the Lord, nor, second of all, the prisoner of Christ. But rather be a partaker of the afflictions of the Gospels, because you have the power of God. Good old Apostle Paul was an amazing man. He did so much good in the world. Like our Lord, he was a lightning rod for every kind of a accusation in the world. He had a lot of enemies. Every kind of accusation, claim, allegation possible. It must have been very difficult for the average Christian then to be able to discern truth from error. How would they know? I mean, they're walking along a little village there, and someone starts saying, did you hear about Paul? He did this, he did that. I mean, all, I mean, those Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians and the secularists and, I mean, you name it, they said everything they could possibly do to bring him down. How was the average person to know truth from error? Now here, the Holy Spirit inspires him to say, look, you need to tell these people. Tell these people to not be ashamed of the gospel. Now, it's different for us because we can search things out, right? We can go to the Internet. And we can search things out to see if it's true or not, right? Because nothing's false on the Internet, especially that comes from the left. I mean, of course it's not. It's all pure truth. No, the fact of the matter is, whether we have the Internet or we lived 2,000 years ago and we just had the, we just had to listen to people going on in the little communities there. And so God the Holy Spirit says, look, here's what you need to do. Pick Paul's side. Just pick Paul's side. Pick the gospel side. Pick the, pick the old ways. Pick the man of God way. Pick the prophet of God's way. If you're going to choose, just pick Paul. And pick the gospel. You want to, you can pick the devil's side and you'll have smoother sailing. But it won't be good. Therefore, notice this verse begins with that phrase again. Be not thou therefore. He's referring to the verse right before it. One of my favorite verses, verse 7, first, Second Timothy 1, 7. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Wow. Look at all you have. God's given you a sound mind if you'll use it, be discerning. He's given you in your heart a love for people, love of this world, and you have the power of God. Therefore, don't be ashamed of the gospel or of those who preach it. Don't be ashamed. The word there is an embarrassment that your expectations may prove false. Kind of the idea of, well, I'm not going to say much because I want to cover my bases, hedge my bet. No, he said, just get out there. You say, well, what if I'm wrong? Well, when it's biblical, it's not wrong, but you just stand out there. First of all, don't be ashamed of God's message. 
And one, don't be ashamed of God's message. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. That's really meaning the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that paid my sin debt. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 6, it actually says the testimony of Christ. That's the same word. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. The gospel. Prolific Christian author, the late A.W. Tozier, wrote that little by little evangelical Christians these days are becoming ashamed to be unequivocally on the side of truth. Now, the God deniers are very vocal about the gospel. They love to point at the gospel of Christ and say false things. Oh, it's so minimalistic. It's so mundane. It's so oversimplified. And now they're saying it's privileged. And I remind us today, it is indeed a privilege to have the gospel. But friend, it is a blessed privilege that anybody can have if you'll accept the gospel. The old rugged cross is still there. The old rugged cross, I will ever be true. It's shame and reproach gladly bear. Then he'll call me someday to my home far away, where his glory forever I'll share. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Oh, it's old-fashioned. Well, I don't care if it's old or new-fashioned. It is wonderful. It's truth. Number one, don't be ashamed of the message of God. Number two, don't be ashamed of God's man. Paul said, don't be ashamed of me. I know I'm just saying all these weird things, but uh, be like Anasiphorus in verse 16 of the same chapter, a few verses down. He says, the Lord... Give mercy into the house of Onesiphorus. For he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. The Apostle Paul was in prison in Rome for doing good. And Onesiphorus came from Turkey, from Ephesus, all the way to Rome. That's a big deal back then. Maybe not so much now, but I mean it was a big deal. And he did all he could to help Paul with creature comforts, letters, He was proud of his preacher for standing. And he came often, it says. Now you should know, if you stand for God's message and God's man, you will suffer affliction. But Paul said, welcome it. Be a partaker of it. Welcome it. Be a partaker of it. Like eating, just saying, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and eat it. It's not going to be an easy, but I'm going to eat it. It's kind of a bitter cup, maybe kind of some stale bread. The world will give you, but I'll tell you what, I welcome it. Because if I'm standing for God's message, and if I'm standing for God's man, the Bible said, you are going to be so blessed. And my, Isaac wrote, Watts wrote, Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried into the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain. Supported by thy word. Don't be burned out. Don't be backward. Don't be bored. Never be bullied. And finally, this morning, don't be bashful. Don't be bashful of strangers. An interesting final thought here this morning to those who are in the ministry, and that's all of us. As you have opportunity and ability, show hospitality. What's the motive behind that? Well, it's the right thing. It's what Jesus would do. But God said there's a huge blessing awaiting you. Because 
you might be unknowingly entertaining an angel. Look at this verse. This is for us. This is not to some faraway people in a faraway era, faraway land. No. This is to us. God says, be not forgetful. Don't forget to entertain strangers. And thereby some have entertained angels unawares. That's exactly what happened to Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. He wasn't really aware of it at the moment, but not only did he do God's will, but he entertained Jesus himself, the Son of God. Those same miracles are still happening today. You'd say, how does that happen? Well, God says, when you do something for others, in a sense you're doing something and for Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, maybe you've never read this verse this way. He said, did you know that every act of kindness for strangers is really something you've done for me? When I was a stranger, you took me in. Matthew 25 verse 35. I was a stranger, you took me in. This whole portion here is about what's called the judgment of the nations or the judgment of the Gentiles. And he says the main criteria God's going to use for judging the Gentiles in that day of the second coming is how much hospitality they extended. Hospitality is a very beautiful, important thing and very necessary in the first century as many of the Christians were very poor. They didn't have hotels and motels like we have now. And the public houses were often nothing more than a brothel. They were unclean. They were immoral. They needed help. So he says, don't be forgetful or don't forget completely. And that's what's happened. Many people just totally put it out of their mind that uh, that's just not what I do. But let me just go a little bit deeper here. It says, don't forget to entertain strangers. That's actually one word. It's the word philozenos. Love of strangers or foreigners or guests. Loving guests. It ha- it's the idea of somebody who has a warm, cordial, welcoming spirit to people they don't know. Visitors and guests. And our world is such a lonely world. People need someone who will break down the walls that everybody's built so much up and then help others. Now, many of you are very gracious people. You'll invite your friends over and your family over, but as good as that is, that's actually not fulfilling this verse. Because this verse doesn't say invite a friend over. It says you need to love a stranger. That's the exact word. That means a guest. That means someone you don't really know. It means, look at the word, philozenos. It is a lover of strangers. I can't think of a better way to do that than to do that at church. I mean, to meet somebody that you know very little or maybe not at all, and to entertain them lovingly as much as they want to let you (laughs) with hospitality. I read about one dear Christian woman who has hanging in her kitchen this sign, and listen closely. Food is God's love made edible. I love it. Food is God's love made edible. How about serving up some of God's love to somebody this week? Through your generosity, someone's life may be changed. Each year here at this church, we have, for the last decade or so, we have an amazing outreach known as the Freedom Fest. It is a day to celebrate religious freedom 
our country was founded on. And it's a day to unashamedly stand for God, for family, and for country. But it is also a day of mass hospitality. Fun for everyone. One of the wonderful things we get to do is have all these food booths. And people come and they enjoy all kinds of wonderful food. And I was thinking recently how powerful of a statement that is, because especially right now with prices just skyrocketing, someone was telling me they went to an event and those little um, funnel cakes were $15 for a little pile of dough, deep fried dough, big giant pancake. $15. I mean, okay, kids, we're all going to share this one funnel cake, and that's it. Those of you who have big family, like for me, that'd be a little bit, I'll get a little bit. But I am so thankful here at the home church, you can get a funnel cake for $2. A two-buck cake right there. I mean, a big old pile of gooey love. That's what that is. That's a, that is just love to people. And by the way, that's not all there is. This is a good advertisement right here. There is tri-tip sliders. There's ceviche. There's roasted corn. I mean, you can't believe all the stuff that's going on. You know what that is? That's love. That's what that is. That's just love. That's love for strangers. Filazinos. Love is giving to the world's needs. Love is sharing as the Spirit leads. Love is caring when the world cries. Love is compassion with Christ-like eyes. With this I close. William Booth was the founder of Salvation Army, a tremendous organization that loved people with the gospel and with goods. As he got very old, they had their big convention, and he was unwell and unable to come. But they said, could you at least send us a telegram? And so he did. They were very excited to be able to read this telegram to all the delegates that assembled there. And they did. But there was only one word in that telegram, and it was the word, others. That's it. Spend your life for others. Friends, everybody's having a tough day. Everybody is hurting. Every person in this room has a heartache. If they'd be willing to share with you, they would. Everybody is having a tough time. Everybody in this world you meet, everybody, I know they get on your nerves. I know we want to say things. We, But the fact of the matter is they have a broken heart. They have, and many of them are lost. How could they have any hope? How could they have any joy? They could just use some kindness, somebody that would reach out to them and to love them. You'd say, well, I'm busy. My friend, we have been called to make a difference in this world, to show the love of Christ, to give them some love. That's what everybody needs. And I pray that this morning that we will harness the energy that's in this group, this thriving ministry that I just believe in the next months and years to come will make such a huge difference. Say it with me, please. I am saved to serve. Say it. I am saved to serve. Say it with me. I have been called into the ministry. I have been called into the ministry. Our heads are bowed and our eyes. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www. .thehomechurch.net From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.